Thank you for tuning in to Highly Functional under the umbrella of Hardwater One. This is Dr. Brianne Shelman-Brown, the Functional Athletic Specialist. All right, welcome back guys to this new episode of Highly Functional. We are joined today with Josh Walters, strength coach up in Oregon. Welcome Josh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on, I'm excited about this. Uh, thanks for uh, the invite. You are quite welcome. You have amazing knowledge, and uh, I want to get it out there to people. All right. Well, I'll try to keep the dad jokes to a minimum. Um, it just kind of happens. It's part of my coaching style and part of my, my PT style, so we'll, we'll roll with the punches. So I apologize to the audience already for all the Tony jokes. No worries. No worries. So just first off, give us a little bit of your background, how you became, why you became a strength coach, why you became a PT, how you kind of merged these together as – your career so it mine is kind of like the i guess if they're if you kind of kept track of a bunch of different pts and like how'd you get into you know pt or the sports you kind of you started off as an athlete you got hurt you met a pt or a Cairo, and like i want to do that and i was kind of the weird person that i just liked talking to a lot of people growing up i'm the uber extrovert most of the time so i love being around people i like hearing stories so i was had a conversation with my parents when i was getting ready for college i wanted to do something with music i wanted to do something with like music production or things like that and mom's like nah you need to actually get a job that pays the bills like i want grandkids I'm like thanks mom <laughs> and uh she's like why don't you do something with pt like you've been you've been training for a while like i played um football most of high school i marched in the band um i threw discus for four years and walked on or discus uh, in college from undergrad for my freshman year. She's like, why don't you do something more like physical fitness meets people? And so physical therapy kind of came to, to be that way. And then um, as I've kind of gone through just like my training career and like my training history, I've done everything from bodybuilding. I trained a little powerlifting for a little while. I coached CrossFit for a year and a half during PT school. And I just always had this love of strength and conditioning and just being around people who want to pick up heavy things and do kind of awesome stuff. And so now I uh, exclusively compete in weightlifting. So that's more of my, my, like my heart and soul is now into Olympic weightlifting and that part of the strength community. And so if it gives me an avenue to kind of connect my two worlds of, you know, helping people do life better and helping people get strong and I get to do both of those, I'm all about it. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. As far as training goes, What's a typical day of training for you? <laughs> I'm glad you asked that now after I finally got my training week kind of figured out. So right now I'm training between four and five days a week. It's nice to have a little garage set up um, at home. So usually I'll go through a full work day and I train in the evenings. So I'll do my usual warm-up routine. And then like one day will be like back squats and snatch kind of work. Another day will be front squats and jerks. Another day will be cleans and accessory stuff. And then like the last kind of one or two days depends on what accessory things I didn't get finished. And then um, just like a heavy snatch and clean and jerk day. And so the cool part is like my coach currently, or he's kind of mentoring me as a coach, but also like I'm getting to use a lot of my physical therapy skills to kind of help with the team and with him as well. So it's like, there's kind of like this mutual mentorship is working together too, which I've really enjoyed. Coach Donald Smith or Donnie Smith, he's down at Gainesville Barbell in Gainesville, Florida. So he's, he's a really great coach. Awesome. So when you're lifting, are you doing a little mix of high weight, low rep, as well as some days of the lower weight, higher rep? Or what's your programming like there? So it goes in phases. Right now, I'm not really prepping for competition. So it's really we're looking more kind of quality of movement type stuff. So a little bit, I guess what some people would traditionally call technique phase. 
So it feels more like a hypertrophy type cycle. So a little bit higher volume as far as reps are concerned, a little bit lower on the weights, but especially squatting. So like I squat probably four times a week right now. And so I mean, it's usually just working position work. Like it's been taking, been kind of nursing a, some hip stuff for the last couple of years, but just getting better at position work and doing things like that. So more higher volume. The closer I get to like a structured competition, we'll do like a four to six week string phase where it's more kind of moderate percentages and like the 70 to 85% range, a little bit uh, less volume than a hypertrophy phase, but a little bit more focus on actually getting used to the um, higher intensity. And then peaking phase is usually for about three to four weeks right up to a meet. So I'll have like a little bit of a down ramp. Then most of my lifts are gonna be close to the, like the 90, 95, 97% getting closer to uh, competition weights. Okay. And then as a PT, are you mixing in accessory work just for strength purposes or for injury prevention purposes as well? A little bit of both. I think sometimes it depends on what I did with some patients I did that day. I'm like, oh, this actually might work for me for a little bit. So I, I kind of experiment and try to be diligent about practicing what I preach. So I like injury risk reduction best I can. A lot of that also comes into when you do a specialized strength sport, you're already kind of pushing into that specialization type of part of the spectrum anyways. So all your movement patterns are pretty similar. So I try to do things that are just outside of like the same, you know, squatting up and down, you know, snatching, clean and jerks. Like I'll do some lateral stuff. So like recently it's been a lot of Cossack squats. It's been a lot of lunge variations, some carries, things like that. Just kind of moving in some different planes just to kind of feel like a good human and not just stuck in a chair all the time. Yes. Being stuck in chairs is a very bad thing as we know. Yeah, I just, I, I, I can't sit still. <laughs> you and me both. So I know we wanted to discuss a little bit of the psychology of training today. I uh, wanted to discuss kind of getting into, you know, different equipment that people might use when training and if it's a good thing, if it's a bad thing. For sure. They definitely go hand in hand. There's, uh, especially in weightlifting, since it is a sport that you compete in, you know, for yourself. Like, yes, there's some team components to for different competitions, but it's really a one-on-one sport. So it's you and the barbell and then see how you stack up. There's, there's really no place to hide. So the mental side of weightlifting has been one of the, the coolest things for me to see evolve within myself, not only just as like a clinician, but just as a human being too. Like there's definitely been some big growth there. Awesome. So starting on more of the mental side of things, thinking about when you're training or when you're training an athlete, I know me personally, I overthink the technique, I overthink the process, I get in my head so easily. What are things that you do, tips and tricks, either for yourself or that you tell your athletes as far as to keep them from getting out of their head and just trusting that their body knows how to move? Sure. Great example I love to give, especially like for, I have some athletes that'll come in and see me like mid-cycle. I'm like, hey, like my back hurts or hey, like my hip hurts. Like what can I do? And like, so I typically look at things in context. And then I, I, I'm the simple coach. Like I give them two things to think about per lift. So like for your snatches, like I give one thing for your setup, one thing to start, um, one thing to think about in your setup and your start, and then one thing to think about during the lift. And that's all. Because I mean, those movements are so quickly, you don't really have a whole lot of time to think about 10,000 things at once. Like if you do, props to you because your brain works way better than I do. But most of the time, we can only focus on a couple things at a time. And it, it makes it approachable. And you try to go big picture first and then kind of hone in on some details. 
How do you deal with the athletes that, you know, in our society, we have such a fear of failure mentality, and we don't want to challenge ourselves because of that failure. We just kind of keep it in our safe zone. But Mm -hmm. as you and I know, that failure is more of just, it's a miss. It's the way we grow. Mm -hmm. It's the way we learn. How do you work with getting people, you know, past that mindset of that failure is not a bad thing? Sure. I try to remind them, like, keeping keeping some context. Weightlifting, I think, more so sometimes than CrossFit, because I think CrossFit, you have so much you have to learn and be proficient at to really see some success, too. So you have plenty of things you can work on and keep working on to kind of improve your skills. With weightlifting, it is a sport of years and inches and sometimes millimeters. Like you don't see a lot of progress. You don't feel a lot of progress until you hit the platform after so long a competition. You're like, wow, I'm amazed that this came together or maybe it didn't go the way you want. But it all kind of builds into this big story for yourself. So if I hit the roadblock with one of my athletes or, um, you know, we're just, we're kind of in a rut, like it's the same weight you keep missing or it's the same kind of um, cue, we kind of change things around. So like, you know what? Let's reevaluate or try something different. And so we might do a cycle where we work on complexes and like you have more of a complex PR rather than like a snatch PR that you're going forward. And it kind of changes the mentality while still reinforcing whatever habit or cue or technique thing that we're working on. But it's done in a manner to kind of give them something else to think about and then gradually kind of progress back to it. And hopefully they have more confidence approaching whatever that roadblock. Makes sense. Do you do much with visualization with your athletes? Big time. Oh, yeah. So um, this most recent article, I actually had the the pleasure of writing for Between Lifts magazine. We got into a little bit of some of the strategies on how to make yourself a mentally stronger athlete. And uh, visualization is one of the big tools that we love to do. So one of my friends, Jack Carpenter, is a coach down at U of O Weightlifting and uh, Eastside Strength in Eugene. He will take, um, he'll actually do a visualization warm-up with his team. So after they do, or while they're doing some of the barbell warm-up and just getting ready for training, he'll also have them like visualize like some of the lifts that they're going to do for the day, whether it's like the complex that they're going to work through or if they're like having a heavy squat day, like, all right, I want you to visualize as much as you can about like this lift that you want to hit today. Get as many details about it as you can, like the sights, the feel of the bar, feel your shoes, you know, the smell, the chalk around, like whatever it is, like create as much of an environment in your head that you can recreate as you can, because then it makes it that much more tangible once your body's ready to do it. Because I mean, in reality, if we boil things down, our body just follows whatever brain tells us, good, bad, or otherwise. And I think having having the mental capacity to know what your your brain is capable of, your body's going to follow suit eventually. It may not like in the exact same way, but you definitely are setting yourself up for far more success if you can mentally prepare yourself for it. Yeah. yeah. The mindset and the visualization is such a huge thing. And, and it really is true. Like what you envision and what you tell yourself is what's going to happen. While you are coaching someone or being coached, the don't versus the do phrasing and just changing that phrasing can be such a big, a big thing as well when it plays into all, you know, just that our entire learning process. So what does it look like for you, I guess, since you typically see more in the CrossFit realm, like visualization, what does that look like for like for, for your CrossFit athletes? So for me, it's different, I guess, for every athlete because it depends on what there's so many different skills to be working on. Sure. And so it really just depends on what skills 
each individual is working on. For me, I coach, for the most part, the gymnastics stuff. So I'm dealing with a lot of getting the muscle-ups, the handstand push-ups, um, just regular pull-ups, all that stuff. And so we're focusing more on visualizing that proper kip form, understanding that proper kip form, um, whether it's on the bar, whether it's a handstand push-up, really focusing on, you know, where those hips need to be, where the feet need to be and all that throughout that process. But it's, it's definitely, you know, still utilized in the CrossFit realm as well. Definitely. See, for myself, if I'm if I were to go back and try to do some of the gymnastic skills, my my visualization process is just to not see myself like face planning, trying to go upside down. Like big guys like myself feel very uncomfortable being upside down. So that's part of the reason why I'm like eh, CrossFit may not be for me anymore. Like I'll help from some of the classes, like just to kind of get them organized and get them going, but. Yeah, I don't need to be flying around like that kind of stuff anymore. I'm good. I've done my muscle ups. I'm fine. I'm there you go. There you go. We all have our goals, right? <laughs> right. For sure. How big are you into routines as far as the setup goes or, you know, those systems? Uh, I know for me, like, I literally have my system of which foot I place first, then second, hand first, hand second, where I breathe and everything. Is that something you really focus on with your athletes or yourself? For myself, I'm trying to develop what my my start looks like or what my setup is. I, I like it. I think it's a great anchoring tool. And part of the article is talking about having your anchoring type cues. It doesn't, there's a difference to me between like kind of a way to center yourself and get yourself in the right mindset to do whatever your goal or your task is versus having a mental crutch. There's a, a fine line between the two. Prime example, my first weightlifting coach, coaches, Thomas and Sam Lower, both of them were national level lifters. Sam has this dance. It's known as the Sam Lower Shuffle. Like, and so like before every single lift she does, especially your snatches, she does three little foot twists before the bar, spin the bar, set her hands, and then set up and go. And like, it's, it's funny to watch her do it, even like on her warm-up stuff, like I know that she's gonna crush, but like, it's the same dance, and it's just, it's what her thing is, and she's known for it. And I think there's something to be said about having the consistency whenever you, you know what your goal is, you know what the task is, and being able to set up the same way every time. There's a comfort there almost. Yeah, I agree with that. It's really funny. It's not even a setup thing. It's just something I've realized I do to relax myself. Mm -hmm. A friend of mine called me out on it in the open. Like I would stand there and I'm like, I literally just like shake my arms out. Yeah. And she's like, do your arms shake? I'm like, what? What? <laughs> she's like, you do it every time. <laughs> I think up to a certain point, like if I know that I'm getting into my working weights and I'm not feeling as comfortable at those like working percentages, I'll do something to kind of bring me back down to earth a little bit. I think it kind of varies from day to day. It might vary from whatever, how much coffee I have that day or what music's going on. But like, I sometimes rely a little bit too much on the environment rather than relying more on myself. And I think there's something to be said about that too. Traditionally in the, in the weightlifting world, a lot of your older school coaches really don't train with music or they don't like to have a whole lot of external stimuli in the, in the session because they want you to be mentally grounded on whatever the task is at hand. And I, I'm not typically in that kind of realm. I, I like having a good environment. I like having a good feel to what's going on. And sometimes I rely too much on music. And so that's one of my things I'm kind of working through. However, I, I can definitely see the merit of having a, a very stoic kind of structured approach to your training environment, which definitely plays into the psychology of it as well. With that said, as far as more of that stoic, more of that training in silence, in that realm, do they use more of kind of like your breath to relax you since we know that kind of helps calm, calm the mind, calm, calm the body a little bit? I think it depends on who you ask. 
Let me see if I can give a good example. I've seen in some older Callus Athletics videos on Greg Everett and his team, like you'll see a couple of his lifters as they're getting ready to like approach the bar. Like one, the background video is quiet. Like there's not a whole lot of music or stuff going on. And then the other thing too, like the person, whoever the lifter is, has their, their routine like in their setup. Some of them will do like some deep, deep breaths, kind of close their eyes, visualize, and then go. Others will kind of you know, set up around the bar, kind of do the rock back and kind of find out where their spot is and then kind of go into their setup. But I think to each person, like since that training environment is set to be very like you're centered, you're focused, you're ready to rock. Everybody's approach within that varies a little bit from person to person. So we talked a little bit about fear of failure and that side of fear. Discuss injuries, returning back from injuries, and kind of the mental things that people have to overcome with that, especially if they were injured significantly, you know, while performing a lift. I'm a big proponent of realistic expectations. So most of my first visit is setting, setting the stage for what the process is. One of the blessings and curses of strength sports is like you've got to start from somewhere. And so in the beginning, when you have a lot of confidence and things are coming quickly, it's great. It's a great confidence builder and like you can kind of foster some resilience there. The other part too, if you've had a person who's been training for a while and has like a pretty good training age or a good training history, the comeback is a little bit different. You, you have to kind of set them up for once we get back to this, like, we're going to work up to it um, in a manner that makes sense. Like we're going to change a few things to set you up for success, but be patient with it. And I think sometimes if the person's ready for that patient side of it and ready for the journey that goes up to it, it typically goes well. And sometimes it's just constant feedback of keeping, keeping their eye on the prize. And that prize might be you're, you're, you're fostering your success by doing more like complexes or things that are very different from how they injured themselves. Or you, um, you jump right into more of a confronting type thing. Like if somebody hurt themselves like on a squat or on a pull, like you go right into it. It's like, we're going to pull, we're going to do pull variations. We'll start from the blocks. We'll start from a high block. Let's make sure that, you know, chest stays over the bar. You have all your leg drive, like make sure that the position feels really strong. And then we're going to build on that. And um, there's a happy balance within that too. But then also for them to see that they are resilient and mentally they're capable of doing this stuff too. What? It may be hard to answer this question, but what percentage returning from injury would you say have that fear? And then what percentage do you have difficulty keeping, like holding them back? I, I can't really put a number to it. Like uh, in in many of the situations that I guess I get to work in, most people are kind of more on the con- conference confronting side like there there's copers and non-copers like you'll read in the literature when it comes to like certain injuries like acl stuff we saw the trends of like your copers will typically do a little bit better in the early stages um your non-copers typically need more reassurance patient education those kinds of things to kind of catch up on the process so i look more at the tendencies of the person so like when when i have my eval and people come in to see me we bring in their program we bring in like whatever kind of stuff that they usually track, like their numbers or things like that. And then we talk about it. It's like, all right, when did you notice things kind of feel different? Cool. What were you doing? All right. What did the other factors look like around that? And like, were you sleeping the same? Were you having like a bunch of tests and things you had to worry about? Or was like there a big life event? Like what altered some of that too? I'm like, cool. Now we're going to regiment as much as we can. I want you to keep tabs on how much water you're getting, how much sleep you're getting. Like make sure all the rest of your factors are setting yourself up for success. And then let's go hammer it in. 
for the people who are ready to cope and like ready to take it on, they're all in and they usually just need that little bit of push to kind of frame it in a manner that makes sense to them and they're good to go. For other people that are a little bit more hesitant and they're a little bit more like within themselves, we give them time to adapt. I, I want to foster some confidence with them. So I ask them typically what things have you liked about your training or what about your program? And we get a good portion of that. And then just some other things to kind of build around that too. So either like some accessory work that kind of fosters that too, or if like if they love jerks, like I want them to do as much overhead stuff as possible and be like, yeah, crush this. Let's go do this and foster their confidence that way. All right. So I've got another thought as you were talking. Brought up stress. If you know someone's dealing with some significant stressor in their life, whatever it may be, are you backing down their weights a little bit? Are you backing down their training a little bit? Because you know that input is could be a negative input. It depends. In some situations, if it's affecting the training day, then yeah, we'll back off or we just accomplish what we can. One of the parts I love about this sport is that any day you touch the barbell is a good day. I think that was a, an old Chris Moore quote from uh, Barbell Shrug, and I liked his stuff, his, his very simple approach to things. And so sometimes you just have to take the L for the day. And then usually that's the conversation I have with the athlete to be like, hey, this is just one day. Don't let it snowball. Handle what you need to handle between your ears and then whatever's at home or whatever's going on as best you can. But, you know, as best you can, leave it at the door whenever you do come into train because this is your time and your space. So make the most of it. And there are times where people need to vent, you know, whether hopefully they don't vent on the internet to other people because that just gets weird. <laughs> they just need to let it out like and do something heavy that they feel good with. And yeah, I'll let them roll for as best they can. But there are a couple times where there's some wiggle room away from the, the big plan that, yeah, we have, we can always modify and make, you know, make do with what we have to do. Um, sometimes those external stressors actually work to our benefit. Like people come in frustrated from, you know, a terrible coworker or things like that. And they're, they just come in and crush them. Like, cool, take that, harness that, save it for the platform the next day. Let's not go nuts. And there's definitely, you know, times where that's appropriate too. We've done some collaboration stuff as far as when shoes, belts, sleeves are good, bad, how that plays into is it actually legit and needed? Is it more of a psychology thing? How that plays into training? And then also I wanted to get into how that plays into life function as well. For sure. Yeah. I guess which, which implement do we want to go into first? Like, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. It feels like, I don't know. Have you noticed this, the CrossFit, like the longer or the more exposure it gets, like the more stuff comes with it. Like I've seen more fancier tights and like, arm sleeves for muscle ups and grips and stuff. I'm like, man, like it's become more of a fashion show sometime whenever I kind of drop in on some CrossFit classes rather than training. I don't know. No, I, I see it as well. And it's part of the reason I, I wanted to bring it up. It's the reason I've done some posts on it because I'm like, there's athletes I see that if there's squats in at all, even air squats, it's like they're wearing knee sleeves. And it, you know, I just cringe like that's, no, just no. On my weightlifters too. Like we're we're almost as bad, if not worse. Like it, in the same vein of like having the same setup before a lift. Like your warm ups are almost habitual too. So like when you put your shoes on, when do you throw on your sleeves? When do you go through like the next part of the warm up? Like when do you put on your wrist wraps? Like it's it's just as common. So for sure. I guess let's talk about weight belts first. When should an athlete start using them? Um, as far as like when they're getting up to a certain weight, um, when are there certain lifts that you suggest them wearing versus not wearing? Like, how do you train? 
For the most part, if we've got somebody who's got a pretty, they're pretty early in their exercise history, I tell them to stay away from the belt as long as possible. I want them to train as much as they can and just kind of create their own body awareness and get as strong with whatever they have around them. Especially if I'm teaching more of like a general fitness class or a personal training client or even CrossFit too. Like you do so much work there, like get your GPP up, get, you know, make sure that you feel confident for that stuff. The heavier weights will come, like invest your time, pay your dues. If they've been training for a little bit longer and they kind of have an awareness of what their upper limits are, I usually have like at least the 80% rule. Like I'm, I'm usually around 80, 85% for most of your lifts um, is a good spot to be in. It, it's purely for the fact like it, it's more to build your confidence approaching working at that, at that intensity. Uh, Greg Knuckles has a great summary article, especially for belts. And that's where a lot of the, the resources I used in our collaborative um, piece the, um, from a couple months ago about using belts like it does help with IAP it doesn't really change much as far as like muscle activation for either quads hamstrings or hips but it it does have the placebo or the mental boost for you to actually approach heavier weights especially if you're in a more sport specific type training i think there's something to be said about you know if you're competing in in a sport where you you need to be at your best or you need to be at your strongest like doing whatever you need to to kind of prepare yourself for that in some ways is appropriate. Just also reminding yourself of its place, like its its priority level. Kind of same question as far as knee sleeves go. Same mindset? Knee sleeves are a little bit different. So for, for myself, since we do so much, uh, and weightlifting especially, we do so much squatting and like squat variations and things like that. Anything to kind of keep some warmth around the knees, I'm typically okay with. I don't I don't think it really does a whole, whole lot. Currently I'm training in some very like, I think six millimeter thin knee sleeves. I just like them. They're pretty color and uh, I, don't know, I like them. Uh, so again, purely mental side of things. Uh, and just that I feel better about my squats going into them. And I just like having the extra warmth. When I did coach CrossFit classes, I didn't usually make a big deal about the knee sleeves too, too much. If I knew like we had like a heavy, like a lot of wall balls, like um, one of the standard workouts, like 150 wall balls for time, like, yeah, do what you got to do just to make yourself feel, feel better about that one. Or if we knew that we had some, you know, heavier squats or some heavy, like, like barbell cycling, I'm fine with it. But again, recognize that it's not giving your knee any extra stability. It's not making your quads bigger or anything like that. It's more, it's just joint warmth. That's really all it is. Yeah. And I, I almost wonder too, just kind of thinking out loud is, you know, just that proprioceptive, almost the feedback, like similar to like if, you know, kinesio tape, kind of the same thing. Like it almost just gives that proprioception of just reminding you to pay attention to an area to keep, to keep your form. Yes and no. And I, I'm also openly admit, I don't use any sort of taping at all in practice. Um, to me, the purposes of like that level of proprioception for most of what I see isn't really all that necessary. I usually will find more of an external cue besides the tape to kind of remind them how to, you know, adapt to that position, whatever that might be. Okay. I find other ways for them to kind of do that. So I think in, if we had to kind of rank the, the use of certain tools and training, like knee sleeves to me are pretty benign. When you get into more like equipped powerlifting and things like that, it does become a little bit more of a priority because that's how you train and that's how you compete. And that's a completely different mentality. How much do you train mindset or do you? I don't think I train it very directly. I think 
in this last year, personally, I, I had, I sat down and had a conversation with, with Donnie, my coach. and like, I want to get better at the sport. And, and we had to have come to terms with like, look, we've got to fix, you know, your footwork. We've got to fix these different things, but we're going to take it in stages. Like, don't look at it as the big picture. Look at it at the task at hand. Like for, for this day, for this exercise, this is your task. And then you go to the next thing for this day, for this exercise, this is your task. And it's definitely helped make it more approachable, like from the day to day. It's frustrating at times when you don't see the progress, you know, big picture. Like, um, I think that's one of the, the downsides of social media. You see everybody else's highlight tapes and it's hard to see yours when you're in it and kind of in the middle of it. But embracing the fact, like having having that mirror, having someone in your corner, whether it's a good training partner, or a good coach, who's kind of sees you in the trenches, and then you have that moment of clarity, is like, wow, this looks completely different, or this feels better. Like there are other tangibles and measurables that kind of can show you that you're making progress. That's what kind of makes it worth it. Um, and I'm sure you see it even um, as a therapist too. Like it, it may not be the fact that your range of motion has improved, you know, by like a, a goniometer or anything like that. But do you feel better putting something on top of a shelf? Does it feel as difficult or can you get off the couch easier? Like that is still immeasurable and objective enough, but it's, it matters to the person. Yeah, definitely. Do you ever either you personally or have your athletes or patients like almost keep a journal per se, like writing down like where they were before and to actually see like, the progress that they have made i was bigger into journaling for some for some athletes they like having something like right there and write down their workouts too it kind of makes it easier for them to track more recently i'm more on the video side of it too like i like having at least an archive for some of my people to see like this is where we started this is where we're heading towards and like be able to see that there has been change in between. And like for, uh, for kicks and grins, I have them, if they've been keeping it for themselves, like go back to like when you first started the sport, look at that and look at where you are now. And like, sometimes that's just the reality check of like, you're doing fine. Like, the process is working. It may not feel like it today, but it's still working. And, uh, and sometimes that's just like a little pat on the rear that everybody needs from time to time. Just be like, this is why I do what I do. Yeah, for sure. And I think that the video is a huge thing because I can look at videos for me, you know, eight months ago to now, and they're so completely different. So I know you just did the article very recently, that online magazine. Anything specific in there that we haven't touched on in our conversation yet that you wanted to make that's super important that you want to make sure you got out to the listeners? couple trends when people are in their fitness journey, like for whatever their goals are. Like you brought up earlier, screwing up isn't a bad thing. Like... Failure is actually one of the best teachers we have, so long as you have the ability to kind of bounce back, pick yourself up and learn from it. Not everything has to be positive all the time. That's how we get better. Like positive criticism or constructive criticism is, is essential. The occasional reality check from time to time isn't a bad thing. And if the, the more successful athletes are the ones who take that and run with it to, to actually better themselves, know what your mental crutches are be aware of them and then do what you can to work through them. It's like everybody has them and how you approach them really kind of determines where your success will come from. Like your attitude is, you know, determines your, uh, your altitude, like that crazy thing that we heard in elementary school, like those motivational posters, they're, they're cliches for a reason. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be anything astronomical. We don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to your training. Like, do the little things well. Like there's there's something to be said about getting adequate sleep, you know, getting enough water, getting good food in you and just like making the most of your training. 
it's not sexy, but it, it works. There are people who are world champions who don't do anything else besides take care of themselves and train at their best. I like it. I like it. So close this out. Where can people find you? So for those wanting to know a little bit more um, about what I do as a sports PT, it is the Human Movement Rehab on Instagram and Facebook. Also, the Human Movement Web at WordPress.com is the website. So I post usually whatever projects and um, things that I'm writing there most of the time. I'm hopefully going to revamp the website, so stay tuned on that. And then personally, if you like random pictures of dogs and food and all the other things in my personal life, I'm DJ House Brother on Instagram as well. So please message me, comment about stuff. I'm uh, finishing up a series in the next couple of weeks about strength training and low back pain with uh, Strength Roast on Instagram. And so it's been really good stuff. He's been crushing it. So we're going to put a nice little bow on things and uh, talk a little bit more about some of the beliefs and perspective stuff that we did today. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm an open book. So please come talk. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josh, for your time today. I greatly appreciate all this information to share with our listeners. And uh, it was just great talking with you. Yeah, same here, Brianne. Thanks again. And uh, anytime. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find show notes at highlyfunctional.org, which has links to my website and my social media profiles, all containing more information to help you become highly functional. Until next time, go live and be highly functional.